following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Morning, Berlin Bills Baptist. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. All right. It's good to be with you, and uh, it's good to uh, travel this way. I'm, like Mike said, I'm with the state convention, but I'm not bringing a state convention message. So we're actually going to be in God's Word with a perfect Thanksgiving text, the Book of Malachi. I mean, if you think about Thanksgiving at all, think about giving thanks, think about the, you know all the things that God has done for us faithfully. My brother Mike gives me the book of Malachi. So here we go. Um, it is, uh, I want to continue in our sermon series with you this morning from Malachi chapter 2. We'll take that very last verse in chapter 7, verse 17, and then roll through uh, the first five verses of chapter 3 in our time this morning. I've entitled the message, Refining Our Religious Pride. Perfect Thanksgiving message, right? So we're all going to get ready for our time together, and we're going to be right with the Lord, and we're going to be right with each other, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. So thank God that we have texts like Malachi to get us right with the Lord and with each other. So as I begin this morning, I want you to think about stubborn children. Now, I know all the kids just went off to to children's church, and I know none of you have stubborn children in your family, right? Uh, I have two boys, both are in college now, and they were not stubborn or rebellious because they were preacher kids, and the whole congregation was watching them the whole time, so they had no room or margin to be stubborn or to disobey. I mean, they were perfect kids sitting on a pew, never doing anything wrong. All right, so I've already lied, I need to repent of that. But anyway, um, it is what it is. Stubborn and strong-winged children can really try our patience, right? I mean, they can expose our sin and our lack of patience and our, our, our willingness probably just to get angry at our kids. And um, It's a good way for God to show us things that He needs to work on in our life. And then there are those beautiful times when our children get to take naps and we get peace to return to our house and uh, all goes well for the rest of the afternoon. But what happens when God's children are stubborn and ignore His warnings? What happens when God's children don't do as He intended them to? Well, the Old Testament passages are full of stubborn children of the Lord that are lacking faith and choosing to do what they thought was best or just outright rebelling against the God who created them in His own image and gave them a law that would help them abide with Him. From the book of Genesis to Malachi and probably even into the Old New Testament when John the Baptist comes, God has sent men to confront God's people of their rebellion, to turn their hearts back to Him and warn them of a coming judgment. And like many of the other prophets, Malachi does that as well with the nation of Israel. And he does it like he's in a court case with the people of Israel. It's almost like he's a prosecutor that's bringing an argument against God's people who have turned their back against God. And he's building a case with each chapter that you read. And he does it in almost a statement, question, fashion, and then another like proof argument. So imagine that you're in a courtroom as we read through the text today. And look at the questions that the people are asking or really stating in arrogance. 
And the statements that Malachi is responding with on behalf of the Lord, so that he brings a case about for God's people, which will hopefully turn their hearts back to him. He really started this statement question exchange, this courtroom drama, way back in chapter 1. So if you flip back just a second, chapter 1, verse 2, you can see the first question statement that takes place when you... Verse 2, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then the people arrogantly say, but you say, how have you loved us? I mean, can you imagine asking God how he has loved you? Or verse 6, a couple verses later, he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despised my name, but you say... How have we despised your name? So there's this question statement kind of back and forth that's taken place through the whole book of Malachi. And today we get two more questions and then two more answers from the Lord. And then I'm going to give you two applications for us today. So two questions, two statements, two applications. Because what we're going to find out is that we're a whole lot like the, the original audience. That we, like Israel, can be stubborn and rebellious, even though we're religious, sometimes we have a religious pride that we don't want to listen and heed what the Word of God says anymore because we're good Baptist folks. So look with me in chapter 2, the very last passage, and here's the main idea for today. That refining our religious pride now will prepare God's people for true worship and service to our eternal King. That refining our religious pride now will prepare God's people for true worship and service to our King. Chapter 2, verse 17, I'll, I'll read the text for today. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, Behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard workers and his wage, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So two questions from God's people, then two answers from the Lord, and then we'll apply it in two ways when we, as we conclude. The first question that the, the Israelites say, or the people of God say to Malachi as he's confronting them in this prosecution argument, they say, how have we wearied the Lord? Now, you know what weary is, right? Weary is just like, 
you're way down, like exasperated, kind of wearied is the original text. Like, I'm done with you, kind of wearied is what the original uh, word says. The question is an arrogant question. Malachi told them, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And they like, us? How have we done that? It's not like a, oh, please tell me, I want to, I want to get this right with us. No, this is an arrogant response that says, how in the world have we wearied the Lord? It exposes their heart. They're defensive in their posture and their arrogance because we're religious people. We're God's people. We're of this nation. So it's not like I'm saying, please tell me I want to fix this. They're straightening up their backs against God and against His prophets. And they wanted to know not really how, but they're wanting the prophet to prove that they have wearied the Lord. Their posture before the prophet is really the opposite of what you would expect of God's people. These are people that were recently delivered from exile. They've been brought back to their promised land. They've been told that they could worship freely again after being enslaved. You wouldn't think they would be arrogant about being able to come in a right relationship with the Lord, but they are. How have we wearied the Lord? They've been blinded by their sin and they stand with a religious pride before God's prophet, the one who was sent to warn them of these ways. One writer describes Malachi as the one who was sent to remind them of God's enduring love for them, of His sovereign election and divine covenant down through the generation. But they're not going to listen to Him. They're religious, but their pride has been polluted. Their pride has polluted their worship. They are, what I would say, haughty. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Haughty. They are arrogant, defiant, heels dug in kind of worshipers. These are God's rebellious children that are denying their sin before a holy God. So they ask, how have we wearied the Lord? The second question they ask is, where is this God of justice? Now the second question, just like the first, is just as arrogant and proud, but they're not denying their sin, they're really denying what the prophet is saying. They're almost saying like, who are you to tell that? Tell me that. Where is this God of justice? It says, if He's really this God of justice, if He's really this man, this God who is holy and just and going to judge all sin, well, why hadn't He judged us already? It's almost like they're shaking their fists at the Lord and saying, if we're really wrong as this prophet is telling us is wrong, wouldn't we already be in judgment? as they continue to revel in their sinful pleasures and defiance of the Lord. They are arrogant and proud, and they're not only denying what Malachi is saying, but they're also questioning his credibility. And even worse, they're denying the unchanging nature of God. That they can continue in their sin, that they can bring their polluted offerings to the Lord, that they continue to justify what is wrong with what they say is now right, that evil people are actually doing good and are accepted by God. They're questioning God's character and saying, where is He? Why hasn't He brought us judgment already? And if we're not careful, we can look at this text and say, well, that was then, but this is now. And see that there's really no disconnect when there is. Let me draw a couple of comparisons to you because we can act the same way and ask God similar questions. 
Well, we who are good Southern Baptist church-going members, like I'm here every Sunday I can be, we too can ask questions like, how have I wearied the Lord? Like, who are you to tell me that I have sinned against God? Maybe it's a spouse who confronts us in our lie. Or maybe it's a coworker who calls out that we're stealing from the company. Or a friend who catches us in a conversation about cheating on our taxes and we bow up and we say, Huh, who are you to tell me that I've done anything wrong? Now, I know we've never responded that way to God, right? We've never pushed back against anyone who would call out and point out our sin. But even our I attend church every Sunday kind of people are prone to question God's accusations from His Word. And here's the reason why. When we read His Word, or we have a brother that comes to us and calls us out as he should, that we're sinning against the Lord, we need to repent of it, there is something within us called this sin nature that causes our, our backs to stiffen up and our fists to get tighter. And we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to admit that we're in rebellion or that we're sinning against the Holy God or we're, in, we're not in good fellowship with a brother or a sister. It is a natural reaction in all of us, even though we've been redeemed by the grace of God and we're being changed by Him day after day as we spend time with Him. There's still this sin nature that remains in us and we bow up. How dare you tell, call me a sinner? How dare you confront me because you're no better than I am. That's what the people of God are doing in front of Malachi. And they're asking, how? Who are you to call me out? Well, where is he? I mean, if he really is as God he says he is, why hasn't he judged us? God's people have always struggled with religious pride. Always. You can go all the way back to the beginning. And see how we're stiff-necked and bowing up against this perfect God who has done everything in His mercy and grace to redeem us. We've always struggled with religious pride because of this sin nature that remains, this old self that is still warring against the Spirit of God that is within us. And there are some days the old nature wins. The wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 16:18 is really good for us to consider today when he says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God answers Israel's questions through the prophet Malachi and he answers our questions in defiance. But these haughty worshipers are not going to listen. They're not going to respond to repentance. You won't find it in the text. You get to the end of the Old Testament you never know if the people of God repented or not. So two questions are followed by two answers from our Holy Father. Look at verse 17 again. You weary the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we weary the Lord? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God? What He's saying is that you are misrepresenting Me. You are saying that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Sound familiar? Sounds like he's talking to our culture today, doesn't he? That you who are doing evil and are breaking the laws that I have given you, oh, that's okay. It's what the people of God are saying in this, that time and many today. 
Everyone who does evil in the sight of the Lord is good, and even further, that God delights in them. Now that's a really dangerous place to be, folks. It's one thing to say that a sinner is doing is not sinning, but it's a whole other thing to say that God is pleased with them when they do sin. They are misrepresenting God. And he, Malachi confronts them that this God who is holy, this God who is set apart in an unapproachable light, I mean, I can imagine they're standing in front of a temple that they're rebuilding and they're having this conversation and there is worship going on and they're, they're talking about misrepresenting the God that they're worshiping. The same God who is giving them specific guidelines for His priest to consecrate Himself before worship. The same God who has made a way for them to be cleansed of their sins through ritual sacrifices. The same God who told them to be holy because He is holy. The same God who always judged people for their sin, generation after generation, even striking people down for their rebellion. This holy God is being misrepresented by His people. And don't think that God's going to turn a blind eye to it. These God are now claiming that sinful people are good and that God approves their sinfulness. Their religious pride is actually rewriting theology. They're rewriting the law. They're teaching people wrongly. Their words are giving, instead of taking the mercy and the grace of God, they're twisting it to affirm evil lifestyles. God's people are misrepresenting Him. So Malachi already confronted them earlier in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2, 7 and 8. You'll see these words. That for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. He's the messenger of the Lord. But you turned aside from the way. You caused many to stumble by your invitation. He already confronted the priest. And now the wave is getting stronger and stronger that now the people are following up the teaching of the priest. They heard it from the lips of their priest and now they're saying it themselves. They're stumbling all over themselves and they're headed for judgment. So Malachi comes as a prosecutor to build a case against God's people to prepare for this coming judgment, to defend the holy name and reputation of God, that everyone who does evil is not good and God does not delight in those who are wicked. Sadly, it seems that the time for repentance has passed. Almost like an exasperated father of a rebellious teenager who's trying to correct him, but at some point he has to let his son go his own way and make his own decisions, even if it brings destruction. God finally allows Israel to go their own way. And the day of the Lord will come, and they will answer for their misrepresentation. But God says, I'm going to send a messenger. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. You may be misrepresenting me, so I'm going to send one that will represent me in truth, he says. Behold, I send a messenger and he will prepare the way for me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Since the priests are failing in their duties to represent God, Malachi tells of another messenger that's coming. And he calls him my messenger, God says. Now Malachi is already a messenger. But there is a my messenger, probably one more appointed for this coming in the future. 
It wasn't uncommon for a king or a ruler to send a messenger ahead before he traveled to a new country. If you think back in the Gospels when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and he sent the disciples ahead to prepare his way, right? He said, go get that coat, go prepare the, the table for me. That's what's going on when Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is coming into Jerusalem. Same thing here. A messenger is going to come before the Lord and he's going to prepare the way for the people. And when he prepared the way, he didn't just get things together. He often spoke and proclaimed things like, get ready, he's coming. You need to do these things. You need to prepare these things. So this new messenger, this my messenger is coming to prepare the way of the Lord one day. It's not the priest. It's not Malachi. Some would say it's John the Baptist that will come. Some would say it's another Elijah type. Some would say that it's a heavenly being. But that's really not the point of the passage. It's not about who, it's about what he will do. He is coming to prepare the way for the Lord. No longer will God's people be misrepresented. No longer will God be misrepresented by his people. No longer will sin be tolerated. God's people will know the truth and fulfillment of his covenant. If you remember back to the words of Jeremiah 31, he says this. In Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I would have made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, by the way. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer shall he each one teach his neighbor for, or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Israel has wearied the Lord with their misrepresentation, with their words that are wrong. So God is sending another messenger to represent His truth. It's not recorded in Malachi. It would come later. This messenger, this series of messengers that would come to prepare for the arrival of the Lord. Second statement that God makes is that He's coming suddenly. Because the people ask, well, where is this God of justice? If we're really doing wrong, then where is He? Why won't He come and convict us of our wrongdoing now? So God's answer through His prophet says that God's justice is coming suddenly and unexpectedly. Look at verse 2 in chapter 3. Who can endure the days of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like the refiner's fire and like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against... And he goes on and he makes a long list. Where is this God of justice? The people ask. The prophet says, He's coming. He's coming suddenly and swiftly. The people are questioning where is this God and the Malachi is repeatedly claiming that He is coming in a hurry, unexpectedly, when you least 
expect it. This God who is supposed to bring them peace and restore them into His new covenant of eternally abiding with them is not coming to bring peace, but He's coming in judgment. He is coming to judge His people for the sins that they continue to admit. The religious arrogance is going to be brought to account one day. And it will be a harsh judgment, he says. He says that no one's going to be able to stand. Who's no one's going to be in to endure? Your arrogance and confidence that has you standing tall now is going to be brought low. His religious pride will no longer be tolerated by the holy God who created them in His own image. They expect peace, but God is bringing judgment. He will bring peace, but for those who continue in rebellion to Him and evil, they will be judged. Those struggling with religious pride and sinful rebellion will face the judgment of God. He calls His judgment like a refining process. Like we're going to burn away what needs to be taken away. We're going to cleanse and purify that fuller soap. Your text may say a launderer's soap. We've got to take the dross away and we've got to clean up the uncleanliness before this righteous Lord can appear. God will prepare His people for true worship and service to His King. These truths are going to purify them. His judgments are being sent even through Malachi to refine them even now. And ever since the fall of man, God has been redeeming and refining a people to worship Him for all of eternity. Think about all the prophets that have come before Malachi. All the people that have come to say, get ready, beware, watch out, repent, turn back. Now Malachi, this last prophet, before many years of silence, tells them, you're going to be refined. He never even uses the word repent. He never calls the people to repentance. He just says, judgment's coming. God's done. He's going to refine and purify you. And one day, one day, one day there will be righteous worship and offerings again. One day, they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. But the only way to get there from here is through the judgment of God. So like a stubborn parent who's just exasperated with their child, tried to correct them, tried to warn them, tried to correct them, tried to punish them, finally just says, because I said so. End of statement. God says, because I've already told you. I've already warned you. But you were so arrogant and so proud you wouldn't listen. You bent my laws to justify your wrong. I'm done. Judgment is coming. Perfect Thanksgiving passage, isn't it? So what, what applications do we have? People ask two questions. Have we wearied the Lord? Where is this God of justice? God answers, you're misrepresenting me and I'm coming swiftly. So what does it mean for us today? Two easy applications for you. This is where we can turn the corner from judgment and start to look to glory. I want you to notice a couple things in this passage. I want you to notice God's grace to His people. Hear me. 
even a God of justice, a God of judgment, is still a God of grace and mercy. He is the same person. He is not this vengeful God, vengeful God that's willing to bop you on the head and put you in eternal damnation because you're wrong. He is a God that will judge you for your wrong, but He's offering grace and mercy. He sent Malachi. He had a conversation about what they were doing wrong. He could have just judged them, but no, by His grace, He said, let's talk about this further. Matter of fact, the whole Old Testament is God's grace and mercy to a rebellious people. That time and time again, God continually comes to His people and said, please turn back to Me. Quit doing the sinful things that you're doing. Follow My ways. Trust in My ways. Prepare your heart for Me, for we will... I'm making a way for us to abide together for all of eternity. Look at God's grace. Though they wearied Him, He still told them that He loved them in the very beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of the passage. Malachi 1, he starts out saying, the Lord loves you. There is grace and mercy even in the midst of this judgment passage. He has warned them time and time again. He has been patient with their stubbornness. And he's still faithful to fulfill everything he told them he would do. He's not taking away the rewards just because they disobey. He's going to keep His covenant to bring everlasting peace, to bring, uh, bring them into a promised land where they can reign for it with Him forever and ever, that there's going to be a king that's going to sit on David's throne for all of eternity, that God's people will be His people and they will be His God. There's, these covenant promises are still true. And He is patiently, patiently pursuing them, wooing them to repentance with His faithfulness. Notice also His grace that He makes a way for you to, to refine you and cleanse you so you don't have to face His judgment. There is forgiveness. There is the redemption of sins through the Son, Jesus Christ, who came, whom we will celebrate in just a moment with the Lord's table. God shows His grace by offering forgiveness, by offering eternal life, by offering a way that they can be purified completely so there will be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He could have just judged them and snuffed them out, but no, He shows them grace and a way to refine them, a way to cleanse them so they don't have to face this coming judgment. Take notice also that God wants us to be prepared for the coming judgment. Read verse 5 again because it is pretty heavy, but needs to be heeded. Because there is a day when God will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker of his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I hope you know, friends, that there is still a judgment to come. One that we may have to face if we have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ. This swift, unexpected judgment that Malachi is talking about is going to be a reality. And there's not going to be a second chance. 
God has already given them chance after chance after chance. He's given us many chances. Today is your chance. And instead of bowing up with a straight back and a stiff neck and saying, shaking your fist at God and saying, I'm a church member. My mama bore me here. I've been here all the days of my life. I do good things, preacher. The question really is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because the only way to escape the judgment is to repent of your sins, which you were born with and you couldn't help. All of us came into the world broken and sinful. The sin nature who bows our backs back up and causes proud people is the same one that will keep us out of heaven for eternity. But you can repent of those sins and say, I believe that Jesus came, that He died for my sins, that He was the perfect final sacrifice so that I could have eternal life. And I believe that when He died, He paid the price for my sins. And I trust in that today so that I can be forever with Jesus. That is the only way to avoid this judgment that Malachi is talking about. We are religious people. But sometimes we can be prideful religious people. So before we come to the Lord's table, I want to ask you to examine your heart. Could Malachi have written these words to you? Do you find yourself questioning, God, I really didn't do that much wrong. Do you bow up when someone confronts you on your sin or do you run quickly to repentance? Because that could make the difference between I believe in Christ and I don't. If you're prone to bow up and deny God, then we need to have another conversation before you come to the table. I would ask that you pass on the bread and the cup and take Jesus instead. So you can avoid the final judgment that's coming that he's written about. And you can know the hope and eternal life that is freely offered to you by the grace of God. Just because you're here today doesn't mean that you're automatically saved. So I trust that you will heed these words. Or even better, the words of our Lord and Savior himself who said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. And follow after me. Will you deny yourself of your religious pride and follow after Christ? When you do, there will be peace forevermore. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.